A critical look at NASA from one of the agency's top leaders. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Lori Garver served as NASA Deputy Administrator, its second-in-command during the Obama administration. It was a tumultuous time for the agency. The space shuttle was retiring, Obama canceled NASA's costly Constellation program, and the agency was at odds with Congress on how to move NASA forward. Garver was there for all those conversations and takes a critical look back at what happened during her time at NASA in a new memoir. Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age, takes a look back at those program battles and shines a light on a critical time in the agency's history. The fight to bring NASA into the new space age. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. When the space shuttle program ultimately came to an end in 2011, the agency was at a crossroads. One group wanted business as usual, for the agency to take on the burden of exploration itself. Another wanted to rely on the private sector to do much of the daily driving and give NASA more resources to look beyond low Earth orbit. Today, NASA does rely on those private companies. SpaceX and Boeing are NASA astronauts' ride to space, pivoting the agency from building hardware and instead buying a service and saving tons of money by doing so. It makes sense now, but it was a long, hard-fought battle. And leading that battle was Lori Garver. She served as NASA's Deputy Administrator from 2009 to 2013. Her new book, Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age, looks back at her time at NASA. Lori Garver joins us now. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So, so Lori, much of the book discusses your efforts and, and, and these roadblocks you faced steering NASA in the direction of, of this new space. Um, I struggled with, with what question to, to kick off this conversation with. Um, so I'm going to actually ask you the question that I was planning on asking you at the end of this. Uh, but it, it seems today NASA is embracing this, this new space age, largely in part to your efforts. So, so why is it important that we hear this story from you now? Sure. Of course, when I left NASA, I, I knew the story had to be told. It was, you know, I was still busy doing a lot of things. And I, I think really whether it taken hold as well as it has or not is an important story because only a part of NASA has embraced um, this type of doing work. I think we're starting to see with SLS um, how greatly it is improved when you're sort of starting with a not um, not a cost plus contract. But the rest of the government, there's a lot of programs where this could be a blueprint for positive change. So that's certainly one of the reasons that um, the story should be told. A lot of the book is some criticism of NASA, um, and I think it's it's. It, it's some of the, some of the topics that you that you brought up are very interesting, and and one of the criticisms um, in the book is the the failure to diversify the astronaut core. Um, it seems as an outsider looking in, this is something that NASA has always struggled with throughout every administration. Um, why is this so difficult, and and is there a solution to to making some adequate change in, in this particular area? Well, you know, NASA isn't separate from society and the culture affects it like like everywhere else in many ways we've had a lot of progress 
but you know, I went to the Pilots Association after this. So I know in the book I talk about there's been two female shuttle commanders. They each had two commanding flights, I believe, out of 134 shuttles. Well, people really, as did I in the book, talk about how the shuttle helped usher in this new era of astronauts who weren't all military white men. But that's not... 50 <laughs> percent i'm not good at math and that and i know that that's not 50 percent yeah. yeah um and as i explained in the book when i had concerns they weren't necessarily shared because well you know it's diverse now better than before and i and i guess i just feel like should be representative of society and we aren't quite there yet it needs to be intentional. There's really no other excuse because there are plenty of qualified people. Uh, uh, what do you make of of you know NASA saying, "Well, we'll have with with our Artemis program the the first woman and first person of color will step foot on the moon." I mean, is, is that enough to kind of change the tide here? Well, I have a little bit of an issue with people setting those kinds of. I don't know if they call them goals or, you know, benchmarks so far in advance of a program. I think that's pandering a bit. To me, it would be obvious that the next time we go to the moon, it would be with a diverse set of folks. Um, And my sort of half joke on this is, okay, well, we'll send 12 women. And then from there... (laughs) be equal. Um, I love to tell a story of Edward Teller who said he was asked if women should go to space. He thought about it and he decided only women should go to space, more brains per pound. The purely analytical (laughs) calculation (laughs) might make sense. I mean, Sally Brown was a pretty compact... Uh, brains per pound package but to be fair I mean I don't think there is as in there are in other activities maybe where you're having to physically lift things you know any any reason there wouldn't be an equal number these diversity issues with within the astronaut corps I mean does this highlight a greater systemic issue with the agency as a whole um you know, I know, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of organizations are facing these issues of diversity, but is is NASA facing an additional challenge? I think because we were, especially the human spaceflight program, i.e. the manned program when it started, and many people still call it that, um, it's, it's cultural. When you began by excluding women, um, you have... A farther place to come from and yet there's such a small number of them it is could so obviously be changed and we haven't so what's going on um, we all know that we gravitate toward people who look like us there's just a natural human phenomenon that you have to overcome I 
I have to make sure I don't hire a bunch of middle-aged women, you know? Um, so the, the men who've been leading the astronaut corps, predominantly, white men predominantly, can't help but have an unintended bias. So we have to overcome that, which is why it was highlighted in the book, because a black man and a white woman running the agency didn't change that. And that was my criticism there is that Charlie didn't weigh in on this clearly at all. And, and Charlie Bolden, the, the former NASA administrator, right? Correct. The person I worked for, a black astronaut himself, who I know holds diversity of the astronaut corps as something important to do, still didn't want to weigh in um, on this topic above, which is his decision, um, above the people who work for him who were making these selections and still making them with crews and astronaut classes that were predominantly white male. Uh, switching gears a bit, um, another target of, of, of criticism, and this isn't just um, in the book, anybody who who um, who's listened to you speak or, or follows you on Twitter knows that this is a, a longstanding criticism of, of yours, is is NASA's SLS rocket. Um, I'm wondering if, if any of, of your feelings or thoughts have changed recently after we've seen this successful wet dress rehearsal uh, of the first SLS launch, Artemis 1. Um, does this make you any less uh, critical of, of this this program, seeing that it's one step closer to launching? I have been critical of how and why the program was created. I did everything I could to not have the government take on the ownership, development, operation of its own launch vehicle because I thought it would be inefficient use of taxpayer dollars compared to other things we could do. And I felt it competed with the private sector who was investing its own money in these capabilities. And I felt it would not fulfill what NASA and industry promised which and, and Congress directed, which was a, the first launch of this in 2017 for $10 billion. I mean, when Boeing came in and told me uh, it could be six billion dollars in five years i i laughed they didn't think it was funny and that conversation quickly wasn't funny because i did not believe them um it would have been a deal so, that's a, it would have been a deal today yes, right cor correct <laughs> i I've, I've said you know if they'd done that there probably wouldn't be a book <laughs> but here we are twice that amount of time twice that amount of money a couple months delayed in a test is not something I'm going to be critical of because we need to test. Um, having not gotten to the full complete test and going to be continuing isn't something I'm going to be critical of either. And if we really are a month or two away from launch and there's no way I would cancel the rocket without flying it. I think all these people have worked for over a decade. Um, but I don't think anyone who was creating this vehicle could have successfully gotten this program funded if they'd been honest that they couldn't do it for the next 12 years and for $40 billion. 
So no, I'm not going to be less critical of it. It has proven, even if it flies perfectly in the test and perfectly the next couple times for $4 billion a launch on top of all that money, that's not sustainable. And, and it takes away from other programs, right? I mean, will, will, the, will the burden of SLS kind of have its impacts on the agency's direction for years, if not decades to come? Yes, that's precisely the problem. It already has. Just think of the opportunity costs of that money. We got the Falcon Heavy for zero taxpayer investment and could be flying on it for about $150 million a launch. Um, and all of that time and talent could have been put to other use. That will continue to be the case for as long as we fly it. Um, NASA says they are working toward getting the cost down. Okay, half it. <laughs> um, first, when has a program ever cost less over time? Never. Um, but if you could, it would still be 20 times as expensive as competitors. Now, the big question here is Starship. And... Starship is the only vehicle in development that would be bigger than SLS. We now have that program tied to Artemis as well. So I think there's just a real transition ahead as to as if we can get Starship to the moon with a lander, it's very likely that could do the entire mission for a lot less money more often, et cetera. Those are big ifs, big chapters to be written. And NASA is going to be running this experiment. And good for them. Good for them for saying, hey, we're just you know, going to try to see if that works. And no one really is addressing it publicly. But I can't imagine any Congress really being willing to continue to fund SLS Orion at this levels if you've got a competitor that's flying doing the same thing just up there waiting for the astronauts. We're speaking with Lori Garver, NASA's Deputy Administrator from 2009 to 2013 about her new book, Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age. Our conversation continues after the break. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. We're speaking with Lori Garver, NASA's Deputy Administrator from 2009 to 2013, about her new book, Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age. Our conversation continues. Uh, you mentioned Congress, um, and in the book, you have talked a lot about congressional challenges you've had to navigate through, um, including confrontations with then-Senator Bill Nelson. Um He's now head of the agency. Um, is that a move that that you saw <laughs> happening? Um, of course not. I I wrote much of the book without anticipating he would be in the leadership position at NASA, 
And I didn't really change much because the story is what it, what it is for the 2008-2013 time frame that I was at NASA in my second tour. But in the later chapters, I'm talking about current things, and I'm not too critical of his current decisions. I don't think he's there and embracing commercial. I do point out the hypocrisy of not just his, but others. And I don't have really um, an issue with what he's doing now. As I said, I wouldn't cancel SLS the second with with these people all working towards this and all of this hardware. And he has been very outspoken about the problems with cost plus contracting now. Would I appreciate it if he were a little more intellectually honest and said, wow, I've really learned that how the, how this works better and this might not have been the right path? Fair, fair enough. A lot of people don't do that. I tend to appreciate it when they do. But people change their minds when they get new data, and I think that's a positive thing. Um, and he's clearly changed his mind. I mean, the biggest thing I had when he was appointed was a disappointment and not just me that it was another white male leader. It's just the NASA program is something that the nation, the world look to, and it is time to have leaders that look like the rest of um, the nation. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a reporter, in Florida, I, I covered Nelson um, in you know in those committee hearings about commercial crew, and and you're right, he he, it is kind of this this about face where he now embraces it, but he's also kind of the the leader of old space, right? I mean, what would it mean if he did come out publicly and say, "Hey, I I was wrong about this. We really should be embracing this. Let's let's start moving in a different direction." I mean, would, would that kind of change the trajectory of the agency even more to have to have somebody who is old space um, make those statements publicly? Sure, I think there's something to that. And I note a few times, mainly in interviews, not necessarily the book, that people like Bill Gerstenmeier and even Charlie, who came around to Commercial Crew but didn't support it in the beginning, in some ways, that was really helpful to bring in others who weren't supportive at the beginning. Because, you know, me, I was right out of the blocks. This is what we should do. And I would have appreciated both of their support at that time. And I think we wouldn't have had an SLS. If they'd have recognized the value of what we were doing, I think the reason we got SLS is a lot of people just really felt commercial crew wasn't going to work. The only program we had for astronauts was SLS Orion. Um, otherwise, there really wasn't a, a reason to put together basically Constellation again for the launch vehicles. And we did that partly because of contracts, mostly because of contracts and jobs, not because of progress or efficiency. Even though it was sold as the quickest, easiest way to get there. Right. Which in hindsight is uh, pretty interesting, right? It was interesting at the time. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yes. I, <laughs> um, I, you know, 
Lori, we've talked a lot about the criticism of NASA, but you know, in in this book and in this story, there there is there is quite a bit of hope. Um, you know, largely in part to your efforts, the agency is on this new trajectory that really does lean into these commercial partners. Um, were there moments where you thought that this is just not going to happen? Um, and it, it, this is just too big of a hurdle to overcome and we are not going to get to this, to this place. I really never felt that way. Um, because I didn't think there was an option, you know, it could have taken a year longer, et cetera. This is one of the reasons I wasn't as excited to compromise so early. The administration was like, well, we got commercial crew. We got some tech you know, let's go ahead and agree to this other thing. It's like, well, we're going to be able to get people to agree to commercial crew because it would just be stupid not to. <laughs> and to me, we've kept our discussion sort of in the collegial community. We didn't ever really come out and say how backward and harmful it would be to keep these cost plus large programs that weren't incentivized to succeed um, because we needed people's votes for health care on the Hill and so forth. This is where I do get somewhat critical of the administration in the book is we could have pressed. <laughs> um, now, Monday morning quarterback just probably should be kept to a minimum because they might have pressed back and we wouldn't have gotten commercial crew. And that is why there was a compromise. And, um, but then years in, we'd have setbacks, as I describe in the book, like NASA wants to jump to FAR-based you know, federal acquisitions requirements instead of Space Act agreements in an early phase. That was the time I thought we could lose it because it really would have set us back another couple of years. And every time the budgets came out and Congress was giving us half, I think 40% of what the requests were was what we got for the first five years. <laughs> yeah, that was discouraging. Not only did these guys have to compete among themselves, then they didn't get what we told them they would get. And, you know, that's why this comparison with SLS and Orion is so stark. They got more every year than they requested. And it was already multiples more than the commercial crew budgets. Absolutely a bigger vehicle, going farther, etc. But when you really looked at it and the easy math in the book states every the the two commercial crew partners got well especially spacex because they got less a tenth of what sls orion will have gotten that's wild that's wild um what do you how do you feel when you see commercial crew launching these days um especially Take me back to DM2, um, you know, that, that first human launch of, of SpaceX Crew Dragon. Um, I mean, that was largely due to your efforts. Um, what was it like to see that fly? I go into quite a bit of detail in the book about this because it was such a, just a unique time 
It was the week, you know, of George Floyd's killing. Our launch we'd looked forward to for those eight years, but really looked for decades, was shown on split screen with Black Lives Matter protests in the middle of a pandemic. So you can't just separate that out. And I didn't go, which I would have told you, you couldn't have kept me from the first launch. I did a Zoom call with a dozen or so people who really led the policy effort that was successful. And we were all on Zoom. Of course, it was delayed once, which was perfect for us because we had so much to catch up on, but incredibly emotional. Um, And I don't, I'm still not comfortable saying things like you just said about, you know, you're responsible. Like, I, I do accept that I was in this unique position. Other people who surrounded me weren't supportive, and I had to find creative ways to get it done. But lots of people agreed they just weren't in the, you know, position to make it happen like I was. Um, but... I did feel very responsible at that moment, and I was very nervous. Not touching hardware, I know I'm not responsible if something went wrong, but really I'll feel this way for a long time, I'm sure. I'm riveted by every launch, and and it still is all props to SpaceX because they're making this happen. I will feel exactly the same on the Boeing launches, so... Um, looking forward to those as well. Mm -hmm. And finally, Lori, um, what is the path ahead for NASA? I mean, are are you optimistic um, that it will have a a successful future in the direction that's moving now? I think ultimately there is a successful future, and I love that we are on a path to have a program named after the sister of Apollo Artemis and that it's going to the moon and that it's involving an array of companies that have um, incentives that aren't cost plus. All all that is good. We do need to work through what's going to happen with SLS and Orion because when we were going back to the moon, no one thought it would be what we've called Apollo flags and footsteps. And the current plan isn't Apollo on steroids, it's flags and footprints light. We can't even go as often as we went in Apollo. Oh, what, Saturn V went 12 times to the moon in five years. The most SLS can do it is two to three. How is that possible? So no, that's not going to excite people. We were going to go and stay and then go to Mars. And we have not built a sustainable program yet. Lori Garver served as the Deputy Administrator of NASA from 2009 to 2013. Her new book, Escaping Gravity, My Quest to Transform NASA and Launch a New Space Age is out now. Lori, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That's going to do it for this week's show. Be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed. Get it on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit WMFE.org slash Are We There Yet? Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Our intern is Caroline Brockler. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.